Hi, you're listening to the TL Podcast. My name is Thomas Lehuang, and I am interviewing someone who seems ordinary, but who is achieving extraordinary things. That is the quest of this interview. All right. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us um, today. As it is, we both nervous. Me, I'm... Yes, I do have my questions, but I'm going to have to try and find your recipe. You you probably just joined me and you're wondering where the hell is it going to take me. So let's let's be honest. Let's go and enjoy this moment. And we then we'll show people that it is okay to just have a conversation normally. And we don't have to hide anything. And that if our secret of success is just there, well, it will just come out naturally. So okay, can I... Can I just ask you first, Adam, I looked at your some of your figures. You, you run an office, two offices uh, down south in the Illawarra region. And I look at the figures and it's just crazy. I'm just thinking, hold on, is that just the one man doing this or is it all his? And I looked at it and I see you're ranked in the top 100 agents. You're ranked 40 this year. You, you've got, it's, they say, 25 years of experience, but I truly believe that next year is going to be your 30th, so I don't know one of the figures wrong. Uh, the, I probably need to update my profile a bit. So I've been in real estate since uh, 95. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, look, obviously I've been in real estate for a little while. Uh, but, yeah, so, look, I'm happy to answer any questions that you've got and, and try and be as helpful as possible. All right. Um, go for it. Thanks, mate. Let's, tell, let's talk about a little bit about your journey. How did you get into real estate and... Up until now. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Wagga uh, and moved to Wollongong or the Illawarra uh, in 94. And basically, uh, probably like most people, they, they fell into real estate. Uh, it wasn't sort of a, a decision that I made that, that I thought was a, a career path. But my parents guided me a little bit uh, when it came to sort of getting into sales. And I was very lucky to be uh, trained and supported by some very good people early in the days. Um, and basically, uh, my first career uh, office was was in Campbelltown, which is just about sort of half an hour, forty minutes uh, from uh, from Wollongong. And uh, sort of, I suppose, cut my teeth and learnt a little bit there, uh, and then realised the commute probably wasn't going to be a long term uh, beneficial scenario. So then we got established down uh, in Thoreau, which is just north of Wollongong. Yeah, uh, worked there for uh, two or three years. Uh, and then decided that I wanted to do some travelling. Uh, so I spent uh, two or three years uh, travelling all over the world and then sort of uh, had a bit of fun, let my hair down a little bit and then came back uh, and uh, got straight, uh, sorry, straight back into real estate. Yeah, okay. So how old were you when you first started in real estate? Uh, 19. Okay. Um, so 19, so, 20, mate. So... so there's something already interesting I want to know because you, uh, listening to you, you spent two to three years traveling. This is exactly what Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, has done in the beginning of, of yep. his life. And I'm just thinking, so this is interesting. I just read that book uh, just uh, last month. What did you learn in the travel that that really got you to be inspired and do what you do? Uh, in the traveling side of things? Yep. yep. Um, I, I think... The, the, the traveling allowed me to, obviously, without sounding too silly, to experience you know, other cultures, uh, 
see what it's like to work in the UK, see what it's like to sort of travel and, and get a more of a worldly experience, but it gives you the ability to have a bit more empathy and a little bit more sort of worldly knowledge. Uh, that that in itself, you know, in the later years in life, you can build a lot of rapport and have relationships with clients when you can discuss some of the experiences you've had, obviously on your travels uh, at a younger at a younger age, but obviously over the last 20 or 30 years you travel as well. But it gave me the chance to sort of see how other people lived. Um, it gave me the experience of obviously being able to, to you know, manage and deal with other cultures. Uh, and it gave me the, the ability to actually have some time out to get my head right and think when, when I kick back into gear again, um, I've had the chance to have some time off and, and probably all care, no responsibility when it comes to sort of having a travel life. Uh, and then when I came back, uh, I really had to make a decision that is this going to be for me? A lot of my friends had graduated university. Uh, they'd really got their, their, their lives on track. And when you start sort of benchmarking yourself off your mates and your friends and you sort of see them having a bit of a, a chosen career path, versus being in sales, it, it, it sort of makes you question, you know, is, is, is this for me? So the time away allowed me to get my head right and, and really come back and say, okay, this is a path that can really be fulfilling, uh, not just financially, but obviously from a, from a business structure, uh, from, you know, a, a job that can give back over the long term, if that makes sense. Okay. So you, let's come back to real estate now. You travel after the uh, short stint in Campbelltown and you decided to jump into real estate on the way back? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I really, I could have, so in, in the time of traveling overseas, obviously you do a, a variety of jobs. I work in the bank, I worked on construction sites. You can do pretty much anything when you're traveling. Uh, but when I came back, I really made the decision that the career path and the longevity would be far better off investing in myself in, in my own sales career and then, then obviously in the long term buying into a business. So the, the time out gave me that chance to think which path I wanted to go. Uh, but then it gave me this, the scope of saying, okay, if I work hard on myself uh, and get my foundations right, well, then the rest will come. What, what does it mean working hard on yourself? Because a lot of people are listening and they go, yeah, well, I work hard too. But what, what, what is it that specifically you've done working hard on yourself? Realistically, the listing presentation um, is the hardest thing is that you know, if, if you've got a, uh, you know, if you're a barista or you've got a coffee shop, you need to have coffee, uh, you know, quite simply. If you're in real estate, you need to have stock, you need to have properties which you can sell. So the working hard, and then what I tell my team is that it's what you do when nobody's watching is the most important thing. So all the study, all the hard work that you're putting onto yourself, uh, and, and the best example is, you know, there, there's this quote that I heard that, um, or a story, I should say, Benjamin Franklin, uh, obviously a famous president in America, uh, was asked the question, you know, if you had three days, if you had four days to cut a, a tree down, how would you do it? Uh, and his answer was quite profound. He said, I'd sharpen my axe for three days and I'd cut it down on the fourth. And what that meant to me was that if you work really hard on you, you know, personally, you know, physically, mentally, but more importantly on how you present, to get the business, if you work hard on those three days and then when you get in front of a client and you can nail the business, my present to list ratio is well above 90%. So if I go to a listing, I generally don't miss it. So uh, working hard on myself was the most important thing to make sure that when I sat in front of a listing opportunity or a chance to present, I'd get the business. Because there's nothing more heartbreaking than working hard prospecting in the early days to get to a listing 
and then to lose it to somebody else who's got more experience or a better presentation. So for me, the foundations is to get myself right, get my listing presentation right, yep. uh, and don't that opportunity when you when you when it's put in front of you. Okay, so let's go back here. What did you do to work on yourself? Did you listen? Uh, I mean, there was no podcast back in those days, right? So no, no. Really, just reading. Like, there was some really good authors back in the day. Obviously, you, know, you look at you, know, you look at all the all the, all the uh, business coaches or sales coaches that are out there now. Like it seems a lot easier these days than what it was back in you know, the late nineties and early two thousands. But um, really, you know, studying and reading as many sales books as I could. Okay, making as many notes. It even sounds silly, but presenting a listing presentation in front of a mirror to look at your body language, to look at how your posture is, to look how you're presenting. Right. Um, a lot of the problems that I found in my early days was that I had the answers, but I was too keen to get the answer uh, or overcome the objection without listening to the client. So a lot of salespeople, they've got the answer. They think they've got the answer, but they're not relaxed enough to be able to present and be calm enough to overcome the objections and what's put in front of them because like a Gatlin gun, they want to answer the questions and, and, mm-hmm. and, and try and answer it too quickly without being a little bit calmer, breathing, and steering the conversation or the presentation the way they want. Okay, so so what would be a, a good book that you'd advise someone who starts in sales? Uh, oh, the, the two the two best books I think you can read in real estate is How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, uh, and You Can Negotiate Anything by Herb Cullen. So they're two very, very good books. Uh, right. they're, they're, they're probably the two books that if uh, anyone was to have a career in sales or, or just in life if they wanted it to succeed, those are books that are the basic foundations for anybody. Right, okay. So now I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you not only had the foundation of maybe becoming a great presenter, but you started to have a foundation and a know-how of the running of a business because later on when you have your own show, you know how to train people because you're going to put them through the same pace. So what, what was the story with you? How, how long were you a salesperson before you started your own show? Uh, so again, I was uh, so 90, 95, 96 into sales yep. uh, and uh, obviously did some top two or three years, went overseas for a couple of years. So I bought into the business that I was uh, employed uh, by in 2006. Uh, so from 2006 until now, uh, I had uh, the opportunity to work with a business partner uh, for quite a few years, uh, and he he obviously coached and helped me a lot uh, from from a sales perspective and, and obviously with, with the business. Uh, and then he, uh, my my previous business partner Matt, uh, wanted to sort of take a bit of a back seat and more of a lifestyle change. So uh, at the beginning of COVID, we, we agreed uh, that obviously uh, that we would come to an agreement, uh, and I bought him out uh, during that COVID period. Okay, so this this is interesting. You you started in with Dignum Real Estate, yes, um, and in two thousand six. So within a few years, you became uh, a partner. Was yes. there was that were you invited or, or did you sit sit down and go listen? If you want me to stay, this is what I want to do. Uh, a, a bit of both, I think. <laughs> um, I was employed, excuse me, uh, by uh, a Maureen and Matt, who were mother and son. They were in business together, 
and the timing of Maureen retiring, uh, she wanted to retire. So the opportunity rose that she was retiring. I was uh, probably the number one salesperson in the office at that time, and it made sense to to come together in a partnership rather than going my own way. Yeah. Um, so I was at the stage of my life where do I buy in uh, as, a, as a director or do I go my own path uh, and open up my own business? And for me, the, the, the time and the energy and the effort put into building the relationship with the clients and the existing staff in the business made sense to stay on uh, and become a partner uh, in Dignam Real Estate. Yeah. Uh, and have a look back since. I've been very blessed um, with the business and the support that I've had to, to do that. It's been a, probably uh, the smartest decision that I made. Uh, and now it's getting to the stage where I've got staff coming through that are in probably a similar position to myself where we'll start looking at um, creating an opportunity for them to come through as partners uh, as, as the business uh, develops and they get more yeah. offices. So, so you, you, you brought it up, so I better ask you. Now... Do you find that these days maybe some of these young salespeople they they haven't even started yet and they just want a partnership? I mean, how 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 do you handle that? Uh, it's it's certainly interesting. Like like anybody listening to this <laughs> podcast um, who, who's had a business or they're a bit you know a bit more mature in age, it's a, it's definitely a different generation. Obviously, be it that sort of you know, Instagram uh, agent like I call that. Obviously, everything looks good and it, it looks that like it comes easy, but. Yeah. Um, it's managing the right people. For, for me, uh, I, I say this all the time, is that I'm happy to provide the bus, get on the bus, uh, and obviously depending where you want to sit, on the front of the bus, the back of the bus, how hard you want to work, is that I'll provide the opportunity, uh, the coaching, the mentorship, the support. It depends on how hard you want to work. And like I said earlier, it's what you do when nobody's watching. So managing younger people now is putting some clear parameters in place, giving them the support, but... Gone is the day that you can be whipping them into submission. They have to want to do it for themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. So but do do you, do you chuck them out of the bus, or do you ask them to get off the bus if they don't meet the uh, criteria? Like any environment, <laughs> obviously, there's people that want to get on the bus, and push out the people that you have to show them the exit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it just depends if there's that sort of smash that exit sort of uh, that window where you're throwing them off, but. To be honest, we're, we're, we're very lucky for the fact that we've got good people on board. Um, I only had a meeting this morning with, with the majority of the sales staff we're talking about intrinsic pressure on themselves and within the team. It, it can't come from the top of the hierarchy and, and sort of pushing them. The in, like, like any sporting team uh, or, or any sales team, the, the pressure has to come from within, yeah. ideally within the person, but within the team uh, to say what we refer to above and below the line standards, so we focus on the above uh, above the line standards of you know managing inquiry and relationships with our buyers and sellers. So a lot of that pressure is coming from within the team and off me. That lets me focus on what I'm good at doing. Um, you just got to find the right people in that sort of in those twenties or thirties that want to be on board and above yep. the line who puts that pressure on themselves. Okay, we're going to talk to recruits a little bit later on, but I just want to go back to it in 2006. In 2006. Mike Dignam um, became your partner. You guys been partners, like full partners, for 14 years before in 2000, you're starting to take over. I mean, that's unheard of, like partners for 14 years. I mean, were there any high, were there any lows, were there, were there any ways that we can dance? I mean, people who are thinking of, of going to partnership, what would you advise them? Um, yeah, look, obviously, like anything, it doesn't matter if it's a married partnership or a business partnership, there's always highs and lows. Um, you have to have, obviously, a good moral compass. 
the person that you're in partnership with. So the first thing is you can't be on two different tangents, uh, you know, from a legal or a moral standpoint. So you need to make sure that you pair yourself with somebody who you, who are on the same path as yourself. Um, I like but like, I would say that a, a partnership, you need to have a, a very, very good uh, deed a, a agreement on, on, on rules of engagement as such. So if there was any disputes, if there was any sort of issues, you could go back to your deed of agreement uh, and look at what we've, you know, what, what we agreed to on a very calm level before entering into a partnership. So yeah. um, we had like family trust set up where obviously we had the right structures in place. Uh, but obviously there's highs and lows in any relationship. So um, it got to the point where, where Matt wanted to obviously have more time off and that was his choice. He still works here for the record. So Matt, Matt I know, I saw his picture on the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, that's, and I think that shows that obviously you can go from, obviously I was an employee and then a director together and now obviously I'm the director and he's an, an employee as such. But the relationship is still strong. Uh, Matt's still listing and selling real estate. So that the biggest thing is what I'd give any advice to anybody. It has to be, you have to be very much running parallel on your moral compass and your belief of where you want the business to go. I like that. And a lot of a lot of businesses and a lot of partnerships obviously break up uh, and dissolve because they haven't had the same outlook or the same focus together. Uh, and then having a, uh, if there is a, uh, an indifference as such, having some sort of, uh, what's the right word, probably uh, an, an agreed uh, you know, bylaw of how you guys operate um, moving forward if there's, if there's a, a disagreement. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to answer the next one, but what about pillow talk? Because when you're in partnership, it's not two people. It's usually four, yeah? I mean, you're married with three three children, so I'm, yes. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, that there's always that kind of pillow talk in terms of, well, he's got more time off than you or, um, or, or you, you, you need a holiday, I mean... Yeah, you're not that needed, or all these yeah. kind of things. So, how do you navigate that? So, like in, in any relationship, be it your, your partner or, or a business partner, there's always going to be pillow talk uh, as such. Uh, and there's no two ways about it. We, we went through that process where you have a little bit of pressure from home about you know sales results versus time out of the office and those sorts of things. Yep. Um, eventually, what we worked out is that the business was at its best or its strongest when both Matt and I worked together. Uh, and we call the shots. Uh, you know, obviously we love our wives and our partners, <laughs> yeah. but ultimately uh, we we had the, the the overall agreement that Matt and I would make the decisions, um, and that worked quite well for many many years. Um, and then when it comes to sharing profit and and uh, distribution of, of you know obviously the commission, obviously I was uh, Matt initially was you know, managing the business and selling. Uh, eventually got to the stage where I was managing more and selling more. Uh, and as the energy levels start to change and shift with, in, in any relationship, um, the time was for obviously that you know, Matt was decided that he wanted to do less rather than more, and we uh, obviously got uh, the, the business valued, uh, and we did a we did a fair split and, yep. and, a, and a buyout. Right, I understand. Okay, so these days um, you have, uh, if I read it correctly, you have about twenty people in working for you in both offices. Yes, yeah, there's about 25 in total, yes. Yep. So how, how strong is uh, property management? Uh, very strong. Uh, we've, the idea of buying into uh, or, or opening the, the DAPTO office, because we've been in Bulleray, uh, the northern suburbs of Illawarra, for, for many, many years. Yep. Uh, we have our second office down there. Uh, the property management is, is a big focus. So if you, you know the Illawarra within reason, there's a massive urban sprawl 
heading south uh, from Dabdo West, you've got obviously multiple estates uh, opening up. And with Sydney, uh, the demand out of Sydney is, is, is massive. So the focus is to build the, the rent roll and develop that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the, the goal will be hitting a thousand managements uh, as the, as the business grows over the next five years. So the focus is to really now double down into that that department and, and really get that to mature up uh, and get a good base from there. And and that really is like any any real estate business, a bit of a retirement fund or a super fund as such for when when I want to retire. Yeah. Okay. All right, I, I just want to go back, uh, not to the pillow talk, but you, you have a family of three. So how do you balance that now? I mean, running a show with 25 people, uh, two yes. offices, how do you balance um, fatherhood and, and work? Uh, it's a challenge, if I'm being honest. Right. Um, it, is, it is a hard process some days. Uh, like anything, if you've got the right staff and the right support, um, the starters, I'm, I'm Everyone's going to say this, but I am blessed. I've got a very, very good wife, three great children. Uh, I spend a lot of time with them, so it is. This might sound a bit crazy, but I coach their sporting teams. Uh, I'm dropping them to school. Uh, I'm at their school, being you know obviously involved. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the age manager at Nippers. I'm heavily involved in their in their lives, but it's making the decision that when you're at work, you work, and when you're at home, you do your best to be at home and focused on on those things. So yeah. the first. I give is that obviously having the right, you know, the right family life and the right parameters there, but having the right support within the business. So a good operations manager, a good accounts manager, uh, good good PA. Uh, you know, you need the right support within the business. So then I can go and do the things that I want to do. I've, I've just spent the last month uh, in the US uh, traveling, which has been great. So having the ability to, to detach from the business for a period of time and, and spend the time with the kids is great. Um, but it. What you don't want to do is just work really hard and then have one holiday a year and try and double down and spend all the time with the kids in that time group yep. because they don't they actually don't want that. What they want is they want obviously a good family life and lots of daily contact and and and, and, and interaction. So you can't overcompensate and just have a great holiday. I think that's going to cut the mustard with the kids because it's not. So it's going to have to be a commitment that you'll have the parameters within your business uh, and then decisions around that you're willing to lose business if you have to. To make sure you're investing into, into your children and, and, and your family. Yeah, I, I really like you. Now, the, the the thing that you really said though is, for those who are in leadership, uh, leadership is duty. So uh, running a business is a duty. You said you had to ha make sure you have accounts manager involved. You have to have a right office manager. Then you can do all these things. It's not about well, you know, I'm selling, I'm listing, and. That's it. Now it's my time with the family. You need to have that structure first. It's duty first before enjoying the rest, right? Yeah, 100%. And look, it takes time. You know, it ebbs and flows with staff that come and go. Um, but once you get the right foundations with the right people, and, and back to the moral compass and such, I use that a lot, is that you need to have the, the like-minded people that you can trust and have beside you to work with you. It doesn't work from a dictatorship. You need to have the people on board who I'm listening, willing to listen to feedback and vice versa for the business to grow. So it took a long time. I was a bit of a control freak where I wanted to be, be really heavily involved in, in, in every single decision. Um, and, and, and to be honest, that was a, a big factor uh, for many, many years where, you know, being a control freak, you actually limit your, your, your capabilities because you, you really 
you can't control or manage everything that's happening in a business. So I had to make the decision to let go of a lot and empower people to make their decisions. And mistakes happen. And, and at the end of the day, as long as I'm willing to accept it, that, that things go wrong um, and we learn from them, that's given me time to be able to have, uh, obviously, time away with the family. Uh, this past 12 months, uh, I was working every second weekend to give me time where I could, you know, when you've got three kids and they're all playing, you know, you know sport and football all weekend and they're, then they're in representative sides and travelling go away, you need to be able to make those sacrifices to be able to spend time with them. Yes. Uh, and... and and, and to be honest, a lot of it to begin with was actually quite regimented. And right, we've got to go now, we've got to move now, we've got to do this. And that wasn't fun for the kids either because it was so structured, go, go, go. So the decision to work every second week again affects your income stream. But I had to weigh up what was more important. Was it the kids or the profit? Um, and as you know, uh, the, the, they, they grow very quickly. So spending the right time with them was the, the most important thing for me. Yeah, and you never get it back. No. So the, um, the 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 thing I wanted to ask you're opening so many can of worms. I'm sorry, man. I'm still looking for that recipe, no, right? So, so, <laughs> so what 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 is that the that circumstance? What is the event that got you to realize that's it? I'm not going to be a control freak anymore. I'm very structured in a lot of ways, um, but one bit of advice I'd like to be able to say is that if you go through the exercise and write what year it is how old you are, how old your wife is, how old your three kids are, and you go 2020, 21, 22, 23, 24, and you write their ages, your debt, your investment, your strategies, where you're at, quickly you can look down the page and say, well, by the time my son's 16, I'm going to be you know, this age and this is how much money we're going to have and these are the trips that we've been on. If you look at it on a spreadsheet, it's like, wow, that's going to happen very um, and, and from a goal-setting perspective, it's very powerful. But realising that if you, if you want to achieve these things, it's going to go very quickly. Uh, and for me, it was when your kids sort of start puberty and they start getting a bit older. It's like, wow, these things, you know, are going. Like my, my son's 14 this year and he said the other day, he said, oh, Dad, I'll be, you know, four or five years, I'll be at, at the pub having a beer with you. I was like, well, <laughs> those, those sorts of realities are, are, are scary because they're gone. You know what I mean? And, and it makes you think very, very hard and reflect on your upbringing as a child and the time you spent with your parents is that, you know, there's no point being the richest man in the cemetery. You, you need to make sure that, you, that, that you're, you're investing your time, not equally, but, you know, as fairly as possible within the business because the business is, is the bus that gets you to spend the time with the kids and, and the holidays and, yep. and, and the investments and those sorts of things, right? But yep. It's just got to be a balance. And, you, and each individual person that's listening to this has to make the decision with what they want as the balance, you know, or what their level of success is. So that has to be decided individually. You know, listening to listening to somebody else talk about what makes them tick, you've got to look deep into yourself and work out what you want to, what, what's your level of success? What time do you want to spend with your family? What what do you want to have for from, from a wealth perspective? You know, and it's not particularly how nice your car is or your house. You, the, the true wealth that you would have purpose a lot is, that is, is your time, the freedom of choice. And yeah. that's where I'm heading towards is, is more wanting the freedom of choice to spend my time where I want it as opposed to being, you know, lock, locked at the office or, 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 you know, doing things away from my family. Yeah, okay. 
Listen, I, I can see moral compass is very important for, uh, for you. I also have been uh, watching some of these um, testimonials about you. Honesty, transparency is very high up on, up there. Everyone just says it first, straight away. So is that the number one criteria you use when you recruit someone? For, uh, as in for sales, for, for, to, to work around you? Oh, definitely. Look, I, I think the ability to deliver bad news poorly, uh, uh, you know, is, is a big issue in the, in the industry. If you can't, if you deliver bad news poorly, you're not going to have a career. So you have to be able to deliver uh, information well, but do it with transparency, do it with uh, a sense of an attitude that I'm going to deliver this in the right manner. So beginning with the end in mind, if I want to have a team of people around me, when I recruit, I need to make sure that those people can de- can have a good moral compass that can deliver the bad news well. Uh, but I think I think a lot of people are scared to deliver news that the vendor doesn't want to hear, so they tend to sugarcoat it and they don't tell it straight. And that ultimately, in my early parts of my career, the first couple of years, I suffered a lot of stress and, and stomach ulcers and really, really worked up about delivering bad news to a client because I thought they, they thought it was me. But we're just the conduit. We, we just have to deliver the information to them in the right manner. But it all starts at the listing presentation. So when I'm recruiting, I'll explain to a salesperson that it's how you deliver this communication to the client before they've even signed the agency agreement. You need to set very clear parameters with the client that you're not going to sugarcoat it and you're not going to lie to them to get the business. If they want to start high, that's on them. Let them have a crack at it. But there's some there's a few hurdles along the way and checkpoints that we're going to check off. And if we haven't got a result by X, we're going to move it to this price and we're going to move the sale on. So it's about making sure when you're recruiting that the, that uh, that the people that you're talking to are on board with that. And and realistically, like any employee is going to know within a, a couple of days to a couple of weeks if that person can fulfil their promises. If they can't, and I've learned the hard way, you, you try and put a round peg in a square hole thinking that they're going to be able to do it. But you just have to make sure that, that they're the right people to begin with and then have the courage to terminate them if, if they're not. Yeah. So, so is it something common, right? It's something common that people want to... They hope that the recruit's going to do fine. And then they they go, well, you know, especially after COVID, it is much harder to find people. So they go, well, he will do or she will do, and then I'm going to shape them. But that's a mistake. That's a shortcut, isn't it? You, you can't just bypass that rule because there's a lack of manpower. I, th- I think there's two things there. There's the, the time that you've invested into the recruit and the training and the support, and then, then there's that sort of when you put your head on your you know, on your pillow at night, I was like, oh, have I got the energy to go and get somebody else because yeah. I've invested so much time in them. So it's a bit of a, as you said, a hope process. But you'll know, like deep down you'll know, is, are they above the line or below the line for the standard and can they do the job? And it takes courage. Like it, it obviously does take courage to sit somebody down and say, this is not working for you, you need to move on. Um, and I'm and I'm not perfect at it. I've made plenty of mistakes and, and kept people on way too long. Um but once you've found the right person and, you, and we're, we've got that, we've got the right people in the right places in our business, once you've found the right one and you can coach them and mentor them and train them, um, it's, it's the world of difference. Having the right people who want to be on board, who want to learn, 
uh, it just makes it's, it's a breath of fresh air. I've got a very, very good employee uh, who will soon be a director, no doubt. Uh, Ethan, he has just literally, uh, he has just immersed himself in, into real estate uh, and he has worked extremely hard. So if you, if you, you go back to the analogy of sharpening the axe for three days and cutting, cutting the tree down on the fourth, he's just worked extremely hard on himself. He's building a pot of people around him and he's developing you know, really, really well. But he's had people in his pod that haven't worked or been parallel with, with, with how we operate and they have to go. If they're not going to be on board, they have to go pretty quickly. Okay. So, so what, what has he got? What has he got? Obviously, that internal pressure, that motivation, that goal. What, what has he got that maybe other people should really look and emulate? Or is it something that you emulate or is it you're born with? Um, I think like, like anything, like you can do a lot of reading or your podcasts or you, you watch a lot. I think you have to hit rock bottom sometimes. I know I did. I was just coasting along and, and I thought everything was going to be fine until I, you know, until I you know, realised that you know, I wasn't actually happy. I wasn't happy in my life. This is before I met my partner and uh, obviously got married and had kids and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, I think you need to realise someone has to hit, either hit rock bottom and then accelerate um, or they have to have that intrinsic pressure on themselves that they're realising that, look, uh, there is a common a common thing. I have a bit of a cheeky smile when I say this. Most salespeople, bad spellers, are, are good sellers. They're, they're not really academics. They're not engineers. They 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 weren't particularly great at school, if that makes sense. But they had to be very much be able to build rapport and have a very high social side to them. Ethan has a very good social side, uh, but he had a very deep uh, desire to be successful. His business, his family had a business, a very successful coffee business, uh, Hennessy Coffee, and he realised that he didn't want to go down that path, but sales was certainly for him and really just worked, I think he worked extremely closely with me for a long time. We trained really hard together and then he just, he was a duck to the water, he just really took off. But he really, there's one thing that, that differentiates him from everybody else is that he just immersed himself 100% into this life of prospecting, getting the happy client, getting the result, getting the review and just build momentum very, very quickly. Uh, and, you know, he's earning a million dollars a year. Like he's, he's 22, 23 years of age. He's, you know, buying property, uh, working extremely hard. Like he is, he is, when you talk about that Instagram sort of 20-year-old, uh, there's lots that say they want to do it, um, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices. Um, he certainly has made those sacrifices. And... We need to find you know two or three more people like Ethan that can that can sort of set the industry alight in the Illawarra. I think it would make a huge difference. Right. Okay. So you're looking obviously at him down the road, maybe to join you. So yeah. are there are there any criteria that you have set yourself and 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 you're watching? Obviously, the moral compass is there, the work ethic is there. I think that the three biggest words that people have got for you is honest, reliable, and hardworking. So, are you then looking for another clone of you? Uh, I don't need another Adam. <laughs> Come on, Adam. And, and, and to be quite honest, look, the, the top one two percent of real estate agents, most of them are fairly you know, unicorn based. They're they're hard to come by, you know. To be quite honest, uh, if you had four very good, like-minded people that, that are writing, you know, five or six hundred thousand dollars a year in, in fees, they're they're good people. They've got a good balance of life. You, you don't need these unicorn 
you know, they're generally high demand. They're full on the 800 pound gorilla. They're, they're, they're hard to manage sometimes. Yeah. You don't need them. You, know, you don't need too many of them. You just need good people on board that can produce a good level of communication, get consistent listings. Uh, we're in an area where our average fees are sort of twenty twenty five thousand dollars like probably across the industry now the fees have been quite healthy you, the, the the direct you know moral compass you know transparent if you can deliver that service consistently there's no more prospecting involved they come back you know their family comes back their friends come back that's the secret to real estate deliver good service you don't have to prospect you know, it'll, it'll come back tenfold if you're doing the right thing consistently. So Ethan's got that. The next two or three hires that we have to have are just need to be good uh, good people who can communicate well. Uh, and, and the secret is training them. I don't know if we spoke about it earlier, but training them, getting them to come to all your listing presentations, me being the lead agent. And what we did successfully with Ethan was that I was a lead agent. He came through and watched every listing that I did. Uh, to a point where his skill level, our past markets that they have to come to my house and present to my wife and I and list our property from a full tour, full listing presentation through to the agency agreement and set up to sell and list my wife and I. And if we agree that, that they're at a standard Very nice. uh, to pass, they can then go on. So then what happened is I would go to his listings and I'd be his associate or his bumper bar uh, or security blanket for, for three to six months until he got that momentum and then I literally dropped away and he, he went on his own path. So that's the pattern that we have and that's that, that's the structure is that I'll support them, I'll train them and they'll assist me and then eventually I'll assist them and get them onto that path. And, and that's working now. We've got two or three very good, exciting uh, salespeople coming through right now, which is which is really good. Okay. Is that, is that something that's happening now because you're no longer a control freak and that you're, you're okay to see that you know, there's other people as good as you are coming up? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, look, I, I think real estate can be very ego-driven and you want right. to be number one and you want to be top 100 <laughs> or top 50 and you want to have those accolades. There's there's no point having all of that, but you've got a ball and chain that you have to then do it all yourself. The true secret, as I said earlier, is that that choice of freedom, you know, that the choice, you know, that, that freedom of choice per se is that you're never going to have that if, if you're doing all the heavy lifting yourself. I think having a team of people around you that you can nurture and coach and bring up. That's the true secret to real estate successes. The referrals are important, but bringing a team through that can that can share the load to give you a life, a lifestyle, not just for me, but for them. Is that if you've got like-minded people who can help each other out, that makes a big difference on being able to go to a barbecue on a Saturday afternoon and be able to go to your kids' sport, to be able to go to the school, is that you want that balance. There's no point having all the money, but not family or the love or the nurturing that, that, that you that you want. Hmm. I'm starting to see now, I think that your backbone is probably your moral compass. You're a very strong person. And so when team members start, when they join you, they go, hold on, I either embrace and espouse these moral values or th these ethics, or I'm not going to be on that bus for a long time. So That's right. is, is there any moment when, you know, like... A lot of people are take shortcuts, right? Is there any exception? Would you make exceptions for new people when they make mistakes or they go, well, I'm going to break this value because that'll give me an extra uh, few thousand dollars in bonuses? Or uh, No, no. Well, look, there's a couple of, you know, obviously, thresholds or benchmarks. So 
we, we, we don't disclose offers um, and we don't disclose, uh, disclose why a vendor is selling uh, to a buyer. So we keep those things confidential. So we, we have a level of an agreed acceptance of how we do a negotiation, how we conduct ourselves. So there are times in the past where we've had people disclose, uh, you know, obviously information confidentially and, and they're gone. We're not going to have, you can't have, uh, you can't have it all one, you know, one person disclosing offers, another one not. Uh, it needs to be a position where collectively as a team, we all follow the same process. Uh, and that's how you become fairly bulletproof when it comes to a negotiation or being at a listing presentation of how we conduct ourselves. So uh, there's a high standard of, of how we conduct our negotiations, um, but we won't tolerate, you know, obviously, if you understand ethics, the first level of ethics is knowingly do no harm. So dis disclosing an offer uh, or doing anything underhanded, especially breaking the law legally, you'd be gone straight away. Um, I prefer <laughs> to have an unfair dismissal have the, have the wrong person in your team. Wow, that is nice. Listen, Adam, is it harder to run an office these days or is it um, easier? Uh, oh, wow. I think it's becoming, it's certainly a challenge. Uh, the demand on what people what people want, that, that, you know, that you, you really need to be. I've got staff that are here that are 65 down to, to, to 18, 19 years of age. So you can't pigeon, you know, obviously, you, you can't just categorize everybody the same. It's really, really hard. So, um, and because I'm extremely busy, one of my, one of my shortfalls is that I, I am very black and white and I am very clear and sometimes I can be, um, you know, obviously it's, it's my way or the highway, you need to do it this way, but, I've learned that you can't chase people. I've learned that you can't be a dictator. I've learned that you have to be more tolerant because everybody's different. Um, and we only spoke about this this morning, is that you know if you're on track for your ETA for the month or the quarter and, and you're well comfortable with achieving your goals, so if you want to finish off early and do what you want to go for it, but within your pod you need to make sure that somebody's going to cover the slack. You, ultimately, the number one thing is that the client can't be disadvantaged because you're having some time off. So... It really needs to be managing, to answer your question, managing a business, you need to be mindful that everyone's different and, and, and learning how do I get the best out of that person is something that, I, that, that I'm trying my best personally, that it can't be, you know, um, you know, one hat fits everybody. It has to be done separately. And I'd love any advice from you if you've got any uh, off, off the podcast later but of how to do that. Um, but it's, I enjoy it, but I'll invest and do everything, you know, be it financially, emotionally, uh, physically for any of my team, as long as they, you know, they bring their side of the ledger that, 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 that they, they will go down, you know, fighting. They, they can't be, I'd, my probably level of tolerance to people that give up doesn't last very long here. You have, you have to be basically 100% committed to doing the action or tell me that you can't do it and then we can manage it. Yep. But if you, if, if you say you're going to do it, you have to do it. I can see it. I'd love to do a next podcast with you on management leadership, but uh, I can tell you now, your general pattern, I, I can see it, which yes. is you demand a lot, but you, you will love your team. You'll give them all the time and space, but 
we need to do our duty. And, and I, I can see that about you. So to end this podcast, I just want to ask you one question I love asking people is, how do you know you're leading a good life? It's a good question. The only way you can honestly answer that, in my opinion, is that if you've set, be it a 12-month goal, a five-month goal, a ten, you know, sorry, a, a one-year, five-year, ten-year goal, if you're on track uh, and you're achieving those things but you've got a, a healthy body uh, and you're generally a happy person, it doesn't... The, the true level of success, if it's a mum saying, I want to be the best mum possible and I want my kids to be happy and healthy and they're at school and they're fed and they're warm, if, if they're achieving that goal, they're successful. If you want to be, uh, you know, in the top 100, you know, in, in Australia and you get there, you're successful. The only person that can determine if you're successful or not is yourself, not your parents, not your employer, not your wife or your husband. You have to have it yourself of what you want to achieve. The journey can be up, up and down, you know, but you, you can't micromanage it and say, I'm happy this week, I'm happy you know, the next week. It's got to be, you've got to get your head up and look at the bigger picture. And ultimately, you will know yourself if you're on track to succeed, to do the things that you want to do, and you're enjoying that, that, that process, I think that's successful. Um, you know, there's times where I felt burnt out uh, or, you know, I feel that I'm going too hard or not hard enough. You can't just look at it on a, on a weekly basis. I think you need to look at it, be it over, over a quarterly or a granite period. Too many people burn out in real estate. So if they answer this question, said, I will sprint, have a break, sprint, have a break. And in between those sprinting, I'm doing lots of things with the kids and my wife. I think you can get your head up and look back after 12 months and, and the year's gone and you can feel exhausted. But if you can look back and say, I've achieved all these things personally, I've, I've achieved these things throughout the business, achieve these reviews or happy clients it's a collective view that you're doing well and i think if you can tick those things off you're very successful wow thank you so much adam i really am inspired by this talk so i'm sure we're gonna get to know each other because i'd like to have you back here again and maybe even talk to you outside this but today thank you so much for your time you're welcome thanks so much for the opportunity thanks adam